Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm very excited that this weekend is the Retro World Expo. Both Saturday and Sunday, I'll be doing panels. The first with Lon from Lon TV, and then the second is the same panel that I've been doing at a few other expos that I believe is the last panel in the main room on Sunday. So hopefully anybody going would be willing to stay to the end to see it. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, there's always a lot of colleagues and friends that I end up running into that I sometimes only get to see at expos. There's a lot of you that I only get to meet and hang out with at the expos. So uh, I'm very excited. I'll definitely be there the whole weekend, um, probably even at the after party on Saturday as well. So uh, looking forward to seeing all of you. But let's jump into what's going, what's been going on this week. First up, Mark from My Life in Gaming posted a really great blog post on his thoughts about playing Super Nintendo on the Switch. Um, also, that accompanies the video that they recently released, which they're calling a casual analysis, which is funny because it's only casual in comparison to some of their deep dive videos. It's still a really good look at how to play or how the SNES games play on the Switch. But overall, I think um, the statements just echoed that they're they're essentially free with the Nintendo Switch Online service, and if you look at it that way, they're great. You know, they they did a good job uh, adding interpolations, so there's no shimmering. Um, the audio delay isn't that bad, and it's overall what you would expect from a Nintendo Virtual Console service. So. I guess their take on it, and I hope I'm paraphrasing this correctly, is that, you know, I guess they wouldn't go out of their way to join Nintendo Switch Online to specifically play SNES, but if you already have Switch Online, go ahead and enjoy them and know that it's a pretty decent experience. So um, hopefully I I echoed their words correctly. If you're interested in this, please read the blog posts uh, just in case I I got it wrong, but um, yeah, so thanks again to My Life in Gaming for posting this, and I really did enjoy the video. The team at Digital Foundry just posted a video about using modern PC setups on old CRT monitors. And what they found was something that most of us BVM owners already know, in that the advantage of a zero-lag monitor that can do HD, but without worrying about things like pixel response time, motion blur, black levels and such, uh, could actually give you a better experience depending on your setup, depending on the game. Uh, and it's something that, I mean, I've been I've been making videos about this for years, even back when it was just a webcam in my old office. So, uh, you know, it's something that I, I personally think any serious gamer should keep at least one CRT in their arsenal of tools. Uh, every professional speedrunner or, or even streamer I know has one. And even if you don't necessarily play retro, there are scenarios like uh, Digital Foundry found that you might want to just use a 
a good CRT monitor. So, you know, of course, there's always the you have to deal with a big heavy thing. You might not have room for it. You know, you might not want to deal with old technology that's probably going to die sooner rather than later. I totally get it. But um, definitely check out the video if you're even remotely interested. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll even be able to work with them on a follow up video or something because this is uh, something that I've obviously had quite a bit of experience with in the past 10 years. So uh, great video for anybody interested. I definitely recommend checking it out. I just posted a very detailed video where I tested the latency of the Genesis mini console. Um, please watch it if you haven't seen it and you're interested in this stuff, but I'll skip to the end and say that uh, I found four frames of audio latency in the spot that I tested. Um, I, I tried to match what GameSack did in his video, and I ended up testing the wrong part of Castle of Illusion. So although it kind of looks similar, my test wasn't the same as Joe's. So it did show that there was audio delay that was kind of annoying. Um, but the much more important thing was that there was three to seven frames of variable overall emulation latency. And that's just unacceptable. And to be honest, while I'm very proud of that video, I worked my butt off on it, um, I do regret being a little too diplomatic at the end. Um, and I really wish I'd said the truth in that if you play Sonic the Hedgehog on this, on a low latency monitor, it's a worse experience than Sonic the Hedgehog on your cell phone with touch controls. And that's a bold statement coming from me, but just it, it's just a blatant, immeasurable fact. And I started to get really upset again when people were talking about, you know, oh, just, you know, you're just an elitist. The delay doesn't matter that much. And I started to realize that it's kind of the fault of us as a community, sorry, <laughs> that, uh, that these statements are, are continued to be tolerated. And I really hope that we all politely can start changing the tide on things like this. Because the fact is, the, you might not know that you're noticing the emulation lag, but you are. And the best visual cue I've ever seen of this was Phone Dork screaming at the, scene, uh, at the part of Mega Man 2 with the falling platforms. Because that's the best way to visually demonstrate variable emulation latency. Because you can't just get your timing right and find a groove and you know, hit the platforms. Because you know, it's not ever going to be exactly the same. It changes as it goes. So you know, I, I would make a bold statement in that... I'd bet my BVM that any one of those people that says the lag doesn't bother them could sit down next to me and I could point out every mistake they make in a game that is uh, a, a result of the latency and the emulation versus just a mistake that you might make while playing. Um, and it, it's just, it's something that I feel that we all need to change because companies that make these things aren't going to change unless we ask them to. So, I mean, we saw what happened with the PlayStation Classic. Everybody kind of hated its performance. So Sony dropped the price to 20 bucks, and, and, you know, that's that. We don't, we don't have more of that stuff coming. So maybe we could all consider politely changing the tide and reminding people that variable lag and lots of emulation lag will, will really hurt the game experience. And it's not about being an elitist. You know, I could enjoy a game in RF on a CRT any day of the week and not complain about it because it doesn't ruin the experience. Yeah, you got to look through some analog interference, but it's still zero lag. There's still no weird blur on the screen. Everything just works the way it should. But when you get stuff like this, it's changing the way the games work. And that's not something that we should really 
just blow off as if it's not a big deal. It really is. So hopefully we could all politely, once again, let's not troll people, <laughs> politely start changing the tides and, and say, no, you know, we're not going to stand for three to seven frames of lag. It is a big deal. And it's something that will hurt the experience. And here's why. I don't think I did a great example showing real world uh, effects of this in this video. I think I just stuck to math and stuff. Um, and one, one other quick thing. Uh, a, a few people very politely and, and helpfully pointed out that some capture cards themselves will have a variable delay between video and audio just because of the way it captures each frame. Uh, so I will have a follow-up video soon showing how you could measure that with your capture card, uh, showing that my capture card um, is pretty locked in. So it might be off by a frame, but it's always, you know, it's pretty consistent. And that that's not going to be a video for everybody. That's going to be one that'll probably sit in the video capture section that only, uh, you know, won't get too many hits, but the people that watch it will probably appreciate it because they're a fellow, you know, uh, connoisseurs of the crazy. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll end my rant on this stuff now. Let's just, um, you know, let's just all try and remember that latency is a big deal, uh, especially when it varies three to seven frames. And when you look for stuff like the Genesis Classic, it's an awesome little toy. I mean, it looks so cool. The menu's neat. The music's neat. I'm very happy I bought it. I will be using both of those controllers on the Mister. Um, I just won't ever actually be using this to play games. And speaking of the Genesis Mini, 8BitDo has just released 2.4 GHz RF wireless controllers for the Mini that, I, while I haven't measured them, should be very low latency. Um, when the measurement was done a few months ago on the 8BitDo RF versus Bluetooth, the RF had very, very low latency, certainly nothing that you would worry about, and the Bluetooth had what you would expect for Bluetooth latency. So I'm very happy 8BitDo is uh, obviously listening to all of us, and they chose the correct way to make controllers for this. So now, if you want to play with your three to seven frames of emulation lag, you don't have to worry about another three or four frames of Bluetooth lag on top of that. So uh, thanks to 8BitDo for listening to all of us, uh, but please make us a SNES controller. <laughs> I think everybody's been asking for that too. I know it's not easy. I know you got to invest money in molds and you have to redo the design and all that stuff. I get it. I know it's not easy, but I think enough of us out there have asked that it would be worthwhile to make it. We will all buy it. I will certainly buy it. Either 8BitDo or Cricks. Uh, I love the Joys controller. I say that every chance I get. So hopefully the SNES will get some RF wireless love soon. But uh, if uh, if you're into playing the Genesis Mini and want a wireless controller, it seems like a good, affordable choice. SNK has just announced the list of games that will be included on the Neo Geo Arcade Stick Pro. Uh, it's a long list of some very good fighting games, including KOF02 and The World Heroes. Uh, and they also announced some more features about it. Uh, first, the button layout is completely customizable, which is awesome because that's really the biggest complaint I heard about people. Uh, I heard people talking about, and that they wanted to lay out the buttons the way that they were used to for playing Neo Geo. So I guess that's not an issue anymore, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, also, both the joysticks and buttons are equipped with micro switches, uh, so it, it will feel like an authentic Neo Geo. Uh, and also it looks to be in 720p with op options for scan lines. So, um, you know, 
hopefully this thing will turn out all right, but um, I guess we'll have to wait and see once it actually comes out, and I'll do the typical lag testing, and also I'll get some controller experts in to really get their opinion on these things uh, to see if it's what would be considered a, a pro-level controller or if it's just a, a fun controller that people might enjoy. I saw a couple of great videos about Link's Awakening for the Switch, so I wrote a post and wanted to talk about some of the points of those videos here because I thought it was worth sharing. First, John Linneman from Digital Foundry did a great review of the game and pointed out some really wonderful things about it, as well as some shortcomings involving dynamic resolution and the frame rate. He found that in certain sections of the game, both dropped significantly, and it was very noticeable. And on the other side of things, Modern Vintage Gamer did a full analysis of it and uh, also tried overclocking the Switch and found that it didn't really give you any performance update, uh, upgrade over not overclocking. Um, he feels that it's the memory clock, which is locked on both the Switch and the Switch Lite, so you also can't get any more performance using a Switch Lite, the newer one. Um, and he also feels that any kind of patches Nintendo could put out wouldn't really increase performance at all. The only way we might see that is with a new version of the Switch. So this is one of those things that I wanted to point out, both because I, I really enjoy a technical analysis of a game, but I also wanted to bring it up in the context of some of uh, myself and my fellow nerds really love digging into analyzing these games, but it doesn't take away from the experience. Uh, while I haven't had a chance to play the game yet, I would be willing to bet my brain would process the uh, the frame rate and the resolution slowdowns the same way my brain processed when there were too many characters on the screen in the original NES and the whole system slowed down. Not really taking away from the experience, just not as good as it might have been. And that's something that I, I definitely want to point out just because I think a lot of people here hear us dig deep into analyzing these things and think that means that we don't like them. And uh, you could do both. You know, you could, uh, I mean, it, actually, anybody that's ever watched the Retro Roundtable knows that you could uh, like somebody very much and still tether, tear them apart if you feel the need. <laughs> I've taken it on the chin quite a few times from all of those gentlemen. So, um, in my personal opinion on this, I hope to get the time to play this game soon. I have a couple of projects coming up that I probably won't turn on my Switch for at least a month or two. Uh, and if, if the time comes and I'm able to play it, great. But if I hear an announcement for a Switch Pro, I might hold off for that just to be able to get the extra performance. Not that I would hate it without it, but I think it's something that I would appreciate at least. So obviously there's no wrong way to play it. If you like the game, you like the game. Uh, I do very much like these deep dives and uh, analyzing how these things work though. So now some absolutely gigantic news. Mike Chi, the creator of the Retro Tank, has teamed up with Rob from Retro Gaming Cables to sell the Retro Analog to Digital 2X, or RAD 2X cables. These things are essentially a Retro Tank in a cable. Zero lag, uh, progressive is processed as progressive correctly. Um, and these things solve the biggest problem that I have had since I started the website. And I genuinely mean this. I've had so many people check out my setup, you know, check out videos and go, hey, how do I get started? I don't have the room for a CRT. I just want to use my flat screen. And there was no good answer to that. Uh, there were good answers, but no easy answer to that. You know, there, it always involved a combination of buy this, buy that, plug this into that, make sure that works. Oh, that's out of stock. Okay, so get this instead. There was no good way to do it. 
And then, you know, some enterprising companies swooped in and took advantage of that and have been selling people garbage for the past year. So now this thing solves the number one problem that I've had and that anytime somebody says, I just want to plug my old console into my flat screen, what do I buy? You buy this. And I said in the video, and I certainly meant it, maybe this will be the stepping stone to some crazy RGB setup, or maybe it'll be just fine for you. But the point is, it doesn't hurt the experience. And that's what I keep trying to get through to people, and I'm going to have a video in about a month that I hope really goes into depth on this, because something that's not the sharpest picture or something with analog interference on it, whatever, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not going to change the way the game works. Just like playing on a CRT and RF versus playing on a CRT and RGB. It's the same game versus on flat screens, where if you have something that has lag, I already ranted about that, so I won't go again. And of course, processing progressive as interlaced straight up gives me a headache so the fact that we have an easy answer to this is very exciting to me um i checked out the comments in the video uh, some really awesome comments in there i mean that i'm not being sarcastic uh and it seems that most people got this immediately if you already own a bvm and an ossc this probably isn't for you but now you have something that you could recommend to your friends just starting out also, a bunch of streamers said that this is probably a great solution when they're using games that switch between resolutions quickly, because even though their OSSC setup is amazing and they love the quality, there is a delay when you go into the menu and exit the menu on games like Chrono Cross and Silent Hill, which I showed in the video. Um, it's way faster. So, you know, there's certainly good uses for this thing other than just beginners, but that's really the focus. And, you know, that's that's a, the biggest hurdle coming into this is just how do people get started? Um, the only two things I want to comment out about really quickly that I think people misunderstood. Uh, I wanted to get the point across in the age of zero attention span. So the uh, thumbnail says the only retro HDMI cables worth buying. Uh, some people misunderstood what I meant by that. That was just a direct shot at pound for the junk that they sell. Um, what I, I think some people might have thought I was referring to other stuff. I certainly don't mean anything else, especially good products like the Gecko from the Behar Brothers and stuff like that. I was really just taking a shot at pound. So, you know, if that's offensive, it's, it's not going anywhere. But um, please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to backhandedly insult anybody else. And the only other thing that I think is worth talking about is the lack of S-Video support. Uh, so if you've heard enough of this, of the Rad 2X, just skip to the next section. But it is something that I really feel is worth talking about because there were so many questions. Um, so these cables take RGB and output 480p HDMI. And then the only question was, well, what about with the Super Nintendo cable? Because you're going to run into people with the minis. You're going to run into people with N64s. So by defaulting to composite video, now you take care of all those people. So same exact answer before. If somebody asks, hey, I have an N64 that I just want to play on my TV. What do I do? 50 bucks, buy this thing, and you're done. Um, as soon as you plug it in, it searches for RGB. And if it doesn't find it, it goes to composite. And let me walk through as quickly as I can the scenarios in which this would matter. So all the way back to the AV Famicom, uh, you know, I could totally see a scenario where somebody owns that and is getting ready to do an sRGB mod but hasn't yet. Beautiful. Grab one of these, play for composite now, go RGB later. And there was no S-Video offered on the AV Famicom, so it wouldn't matter. 
for SNES and Super Famicom. All of the fat versions output RGB, so you're good to go there. The Mini doesn't output RGB or S-Video without a mod, so you would have to go to composite anyway. On N64, uh, don't forget, these are region-free cables. So, you know, it doesn't convert it. PAL in, PAL out, NTSC in, NTSC out. But it'll work worldwide. And PAL, uh, some PAL N64s have issues with S-Video. So to have a universally working cable, it's definitely the smarter move to just have that default to composite video. Um, and to be honest, the N64 is the only console out there where I genuinely don't think there's a huge difference between composite and S-Video. I'll have a follow-up video whenever the pre-orders are opening for the, the NES one just to show people exactly what I mean by that. But it's, it's not that big a deal, um, at, at least not nearly as big as something on like the one-chip Super Nintendo uh, and then, of course, you have the GameCube, but as I said in the video, please consider GameCube support just a bonus. That was GameCube was never in Mike's mind when he designed this thing. It's just, uh, it's just a fun bonus that it also works with it, and there's not many scenarios in which I would recommend it for the GameCube, simply because you have things out there like the Carby. You can get, for a very reasonable price, HDMI or component, and have every resolution with a digital-to-digital -digital GameCube, you know, GC video chip in there. So... It's just, you know, it's in the scenario of, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a PAL GameCube that doesn't have the digital output port, um, you know, it might be a help for you because you get RGB out and you're good to go. Not really a help on NTSC GameCubes because, you know, it would default to composite, not S-Video, but, you know, there, there's just so many other solutions for the GameCube. So that's why I said, you know, consider it a bonus for the GameCube, and that's also why there's not going to be S-Video support because if you really take the reason why these cables are being made into account, then it is just kind of no point. Um, if people, I guess, you know, if it's that big of a deal, even after a few weeks from now, when I post the, the full really in-depth comparison video, and I'll even have raw captures up for people to look themselves. If you still really think that there's a difference between uh, composite and S video, then I guess instead of buying this buy a retro tank and some good shielded S video cables, but I mean, it's really up to you, and I genuinely think that in the the whole scheme of things, having it set up the way it is right now is probably the best solution, because adding S-Video would just add cost, and it would complicate something that's designed to be the simplest thing you could imagine. So, um, you know, that's just my thoughts on that. You don't have to agree, but uh, I, I certainly don't think... Um, the bigger picture, people walk into a game store and just want their console to work. I think having a $50 device that can do all of that without worrying about it, that, that's just the best bet. So uh, hopefully I didn't ramble too long on this. I'm just very excited because now I finally have a good answer to the question, how do I get started? So, uh, you know, thanks to, to Mike for being so responsive when I've been bothering the hell out of him. Thanks to Rob for being patient. I told him I was going to launch the video way before I did because I kept having rendering issues and stuff. So uh, I'm excited that I got to be the one that unveiled it and I will have follow-up videos that have, uh, that are more OCD based. So for all of those people that, uh, that are usually very critical of my work, thank you for being patient with me. This was the unveiling and, uh, I think I did a pretty good job, but I'll have all raw captures and everything lined up for you all soon enough so that you could see what this really performs like. But if you're curious right now, just look, just use shielded cables in a retro tank and it's going to be the exact same. <laughs> and another pretty giant announcement. 
Dan and Kristoff, the creators of the very amazing DC HDMI, have just announced the PS1 HDMI. So it's exactly what you might think. It's an internal mod, much like the DC HDMI. No cutting will be required for this because it'll go where the serial port is. And it's compatible with 5000 through 7000 series PlayStation consoles. Um, All of the features haven't quite been confirmed yet, and neither is the pricing or availability. But uh, if you've used the DC HDMI, you could probably have in your head all of the amazing features that it might come with. Um, They are targeting early next year for a release date. And they also wanted everybody to know that this is not going to be instead of their PS2 HDMI. Um, They showed that off at Too Many Games this year. This is just uh, a better stepping stone. So they're going to launch this first and then kind of learn from this and then finish off the PS2 project. But just a reminder, the PS2 HDMI will also play PS1 games, and as long as you use the right model PS2, then it'll play them pretty perfectly. Very, you know, I'm sure there's uh, OCD nitpickers listening right now. There's a few little differences, but for your average person, it's going to be identical. So, you know, if you were holding off for that, don't worry, they're still going to work on it. It's probably just a slight delay so they could do the PS1 HDMI first. I cannot wait to try it out. Um, You know, I just, there's so many advantages of a digital-to-digital mod, uh, especially when playing on flat screens. So I'm very excited to see what they have in store for this and what features they've thrown in. So uh, obviously I will keep everybody posted anytime there's like a milestone update. But if you want to be kept in the loop for every little update, definitely follow Dan and Chris off because uh, it's exciting stuff. James from Retro HQ has just announced an Atari 7800 ROM cart. I guess now that the Jag SD is out and that project is mostly finished, he's moved on to the next. And I remember him saying that after taking a look at it, he doesn't think it'll be nearly as complicated as the Jaguar one was, though. So while there's no price or release date, it shouldn't take years like the Jaguar one. Now, of course, I'm saying that, and I'm not a developer, so for all I know, James is getting into this and realizing it's more complicated than he originally anticipated, so by all means, uh, he has officially stated no price or release date yet, and that's probably the info you should go by, but it's great to see the Atari 7800 getting some more love, and uh, maybe someday we'll get an RGB mod for it, too. Well, that's it for this week. I actually had a few other things that I really wanted to talk about, but nothing like pre-orders. So don't worry, you're not missing out. I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not falling behind on something time sensitive, but there were a bunch of other cool things that I'll get back and start writing next week. Um, I've just been so busy with these videos and there's a few more coming. So uh, hopefully I could make a big splash with the next one as well, but I guess we'll see how all that goes. Uh, But anybody coming to Retro World Expo, definitely tweet at me, look for me. I'll be walking around uh, depending on which day it is i'll probably have a beer in my hand so please come over and say hi i really love meeting everybody and as always thanks so much for everybody that watches and listens Uh, i'm really happy that i get to do these things and i hope to continue to do it so thank you very much and i'll see you next week